0: This is Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. We are looking into the Opioid Settlement Fund and how the money will be distributed. First, we wanted to give you a bit of background on the opioid crisis. In the 1990s, the drug Oxycotin was approved by the Food and Drug Administration and manufactured by Purdue Pharma. The medication was prescribed as a pain reliever to individuals with chronic pain. The problem is that it is highly addictive, even though manufacturers said it was not. This led to the first wave of deaths around prescription opioids. Since then, the opioid crisis has devastated communities throughout the United States. In Indiana alone, between 2012 and 2016, deaths related to synthetic opioids increased over 600 percent, according to data from Indiana University.
1: John Agley works at the Indiana Preservation Resource Center and the Institute for Research on Addictive Behavior in the IU School of Public Health. Agley pushes back against the term opioid epidemic. He rather calls the crisis an overdose epidemic. He elaborated on a brief history of the epidemic dating back to the late 1990s and how it unfolded to the point of where it is today.
2: And so essentially what we saw, what we saw at first was what people think of as the first wave is this prescription Opioid, uh, which is both natural and semi-synthetic, and so that's I think the thing that's kind of gotten the most press, I would say until recently, with fentanyl. But the first increase in in opioid deaths started around 1999. It went on for quite a while, and then around 2010, you started to see there's a second wave. Now it doesn't mean the first wave was over. But around 2010, we started to see some increases in heroin-related overdoses. And then right around 2014 to 2015, we started to see illicit fentanyl and and analogs of illicit fentanyl really start to to spike as well. And in in recent times, we've also seen overdoses that are related to not only opioids, but also uh, stimulants things like cocaine and methamphetamine sometimes on their own and oftentimes in conjunction with illicit fentanyl. And that could happen, for example, if someone is taking cocaine or what they think is cocaine and it has fentanyl in it to some degree, especially if that's not, not someone who uses opioids regularly, like their, their body is opioid naive, then there's a, a real risk of an overdose an opioid-involved overdose, even though the intention wasn't to use opioids.
1: Agley refers to the opioid epidemic as a wicked problem, meaning that it's a problem that is difficult or nearly impossible to solve due to its complexity. He said a wide variety of evidence-based solutions would be needed to address the crisis.
2: If you think of it like a sphere that is very malleable, when you push on one side of it, you know, you'll start to see movement on the other side. So it's a problem. Where no one solution, and I think I, I do think this is true of the, of the overdose crisis. I don't think there's any one solution that is singularly capable of, of solving this problem because the problem is so inextricably complex. Many different types of intersecting strategies probably need to be implemented at the same time and in different ways to kind of get a handle on the, the overall crisis. And some of that looks like what you said. There are structural things that can predispose people to being at risk. There are, you know, questions about reentry. There are, there are uh, naloxone distribution and awareness and training initiatives. There's evidence-based treatment for people with opioid use disorder. There are all these things that really fall along the spectrum that of not only prevention, But treatment, recovery, and then the underlying determinants of the things that can help those other systems be successful. And doing all of those, I don't think you know. Now there are. It's not to say that everything as a response is good. The, the The caveat is there are things that have a strong evidence base, and there are things that have a fairly good evidence base. And and those are things that I think are worth investing in. I think where where you can go off the rails, so to speak, is to invest in things that perhaps don't have a very strong evidence base or to not invest in things that are shown to be very effective. But ultimately, I I think your solution is going to be very holistic in the sense that it has to attack the problem from numerous angles at the same time.
1: Agley touched on the degree to which the opioid crisis has impacted individuals, families, and communities across the country. As a result of the large number of people affected, he said it can be difficult to humanize the data. As people,
2: we tend not to humanize large numbers, if that makes sense. When we see a large number as part of a statistic or a press release, we tend not to think of each imager in that number, 100,000, 105,000, as a person, we think of it abstractly. And one of the reasons this has been so much in the media is because the opioid and overdose crisis is not necessarily restricted to any one community. It's something that is very, it has successfully proliferated around the country. 105,000 overdose deaths in the last 12 months, a social context wherein a large number of people die every year right now in the United States due to overdose. And in many cases, that probably...
0: In response to the opioid crisis, state and local governments across the country sued the pharmaceutical companies in charge of making and distributing opioids, and held them accountable for the lives they have impacted. This is according to the Indiana Attorney General's office. Over the last two years, a national opioid settlement of $26 billion has been reached. The first settlement comes from opioid distributors McKesson, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource and opioid manufacturer, Janssen Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and its parent company, Johnson and Johnson. The three opioid distributors will pay $21 billion over the course of 18 years. Johnson and Johnson will pay up to $5 billion over the span of nine years. Indiana will receive about $507 million from the settlement. The city of Bloomington will receive about $2 million, and Monroe County will receive about $2.6 million over the course of 18 years.
1: On April 4th, at the Bloomington City Council meeting, Corporation Council Beth Kate asked the Council to approve the appropriation of the current balances of the Opioid Settlement Fund to help address the impacts of the opioid crisis on city and county residents. Kate said that the money being appropriated came from the Opioid Settlement Fund and explained how they received it.
3: As you may recall, uh, the City of Bloomington is participating in national settlements, which have been negotiated by the state of Indiana and various other states just about a little over a year ago. We opted into the first of these settlements uh, with a manufacturer and several distributors, uh, and that uh, has produced some settlement payments which began in late 2022 and will continue out through uh, 2038, actually. Uh, So we received, in late 2022, payments into two separate funds. One is an unrestricted fund, and one is restricted under state law. Uh, about 70% of the money we receive is restricted in its use to a variety of uses involving opioid treatment and uh, um, other forms of assistance that are kind of under the broad heading of abatement. Uh, And it's a broad list, um, but the funds need to go for things within that broad list. And then about 30% of the funds are unrestricted. And so what you're seeing in Appropriation Ordinance uh, 2303 is uh, the combined total of the 2022 payments into those two funds, restricted and unrestricted. And what the app board is asking is that you appropriate those funds and only those funds, so only the 2022 payments from that settlement uh, toward the programs that Ms. Callender-Anderson is going to describe.
1: Director of the Community and Family Resources Department, Beverly Callender Anderson, explained what the funds would be used for.
3: And as you may know, each
4: year CFRD coordinates the Downtown Outreach Grant which provides funding for nonprofit agencies that support Bloomington's unhoused residents or those of, in danger of becoming homeless. This investment of funds into local nonprofits has resulted in outreach staff who work with their agencies and in collaboration with the city to assure that residents who are living in the str- on the streets, <clears throat> excuse me, are receiving needed services, including healthcare, and that they are aware of the resources such as payment for transportation um, for those who have come from out of town to go back to their home communities, as well as case management, uh, navigator services, syringe disposal boxes, and the like. In 2023, the downtown outreach grant cycle, during that outreach grant cycle, the request total was $544,771. That's more than double the $250,000 we had allocated for that purpose. The grant selection committee evaluated each grant and finally got the number whittled down to $320,660, which was still $70,500 more than available. The committee felt further cuts would not allow enough funding for even partial services to be provided by many of the agencies. Additionally, the city and the county have collaborated on a matching grant through the Family Social Service Administration to address substance use disorder in Monroe County. The city's portion of the match was $100,000 which will include a naloxone supply and education program, drug, medication, and syringe disposal units, along with educational resources for the proper disposal of the medication and syringes. In order to collaborate with county government, on its upcoming programs addressing substance use disorder and to make the downtown outreach grant committee's recommendation, recommended total of $320,660 for local agencies. We request and recommend the council approve this appropriation, this appropriation. $170,500 of this total has already been outlined. The remaining funds will be maintained by CFRD to be used to address similar community needs consistent with the types of abatement expenditures approved by the settlement document and state law.
1: The council voted to approve the appropriation ordinance unanimously.
0: plans to use the state's 35% appropriation for abatement from the National Opioid Settlement by establishing the Next Level Recovery Grant Matching Program. This program means that counties and cities and towns could apply for a matching grant. In Monroe County, Commissioner Penny Githens prepared the grant plan. She said the grant requested more than $1 million additional million in opioid services, working to distribute funds and resources to organizations like the Indiana Recovery Alliance and Centerstone.
5: I worked with Members of our health department and people from the Indiana Recovery Alliance and Stone, right. along with City of Bloomington, to put in an application for an additional grant money, allocating an additional 25 million in grants for opioid settlement. What we asked for was additional money that we would we would put up a chunk of money, a big chunk. Uh, The city was putting up a small amount. Um, Centerstone got cooked to commit to pledge some additional money. If the state were to fund everything we requested, it would be an additional a little over one million additional dollars for crisis interventionists through the Stride Center, and they have actually started a, a mobile crisis unit, which has you know been the potential to be really beneficial to people and as well as a vehicle for the Stride Center to use to transport people, whether it's to doctor's offices or home from the jail, home from the hospital, if they've been there. Um, we're We're seeing a lot of need right now.
1: Nick Boyles is an executive director for the Indiana Recovery Alliance, a drug user human rights advocacy organization.
6: The Indiana Recovery Alliance is a drug user health hub. We are literally a one-stop shop for anybody who has substance use issues, needs any direct service or linkage to care.
1: Wills gave us background on the opioid crisis, how the problem started, and how it got worse once the medications stopped being prescribed over the counter. So
6: Purdue came, well, one of the people in Purdue came up with a a new, a new drug formula, older drug called oxycodone, but with this new skin on it that would make it time released. While doing that, they lobbied with several other people to, to uh, bring about pain as a fifth vital sign, right? Unfortunately, they're right, it didn't get played out that way. Uh, Purdue then put this drug into doctor's hands saying, uh, it's not addictive. You can't get addicted. It's perfect painkiller. Oh, but don't scratch off the surface and don't shoot it up. And so you know that doctors, even well-meaning ones, were like, now, Peggy, I'm going to give you this. Don't you scratch that surface off and don't you be shooting up. You know, or whatever it went. And so uh, people, of course, did that and found out. that Oh, my God. It's like, you know, when you take it, you're the first time I ever took it, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm abusing. this. You know, like, beautiful buzz. whoa let's go you know uh and so they just banged that drum in something like we have never seen before they went to every doctor every you know i mean they were just coming and they went to places like appalachia and ohio and rural indiana and places where you run on a sawmill or something you know and then like you might be stable on a couple a uh, couple pills a day, but you've been that way for 10 years just so you can get to work each day, you know, and uh, they just flooded everything. When we finally figured out what was going on, so the government's response was for the first time in, not the first time, but one of the first times in our history, the government went after the medical field and they said, hey, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this you know uh you're gonna be we're gonna punish you you're writing too many pills you're gonna do this you're gonna do that so in a period where you've got like take uh oxycontin off the board let's just say we're not talking about it from that period you know for probably the past 20 years or 30 years since opiates became a viable thing for people to get pain relief from i mean just in the newest history uh, you might have John who takes a Vicodin or two a day. That's what he's prescribed. You might have another guy who takes a Valium and a, a, a Percocet when he goes to sleep. You know, whatever whatever your your thing you have is to make it so you can get through the day. Take that and then give him the most. You know, uh, have him stable in these little drugs and then cut it all off. In fact, not only cut it all off, shame people, shame the doctor, and then say if you don't do this. We're going to take your license and sue you and put you in jail, so all of a sudden, the stable population who had been you know uh stable and now had all their stuff they'd been worth they're going to withdrawal for the first time and you some of them didn't even understand what withdrawal was; they just knew they were sick, some of them thought they were sick from the new pills like I mean, it was just, you can imagine to a population that has no idea, you know mm-hmm. not only is that the beginning of the shame. And terror, but, but the thing is, they curtailed all it. They left nothing in its place. So you took a whole bunch of people who had been okay on a certain drug, you pull it from them, make them feel like the biggest pieces of on earth. Now you can be ashamed to not want to feel pain. Enter a market. Whenever you have something that is regulated and you know goes through rigorous processes and you know is good... It's something you can just and be okay. When you don't know what it is, you want a million different, you know, you million different problems will pop up. And so they didn't offer any of these people MAT, buprenorphine, uh, methadone, nothing. They did nothing, you know? And that's where the real overdose crisis comes. It doesn't come from the super abusive pills, although that did create people who were uh, addicted. We didn't do anything for these people when we pulled their meds.
1: So people go get fentanyl and die, you know? He explained that society needs to reevaluate how we treat people who use drugs. He reiterated the IRA's message of treating people with dignity and respect. He said evidence-supported solutions are needed to address the crisis at hand.
6: We need to desperately rethink how we treat drug users in our community. Um, There's work there. There's good work there, you know. But, like, it's too little to be as effective as we need it to be, you know? Invest in drug user advisory boards. Invest in you know homeless, unhoused people advisory boards made up of unhoused people, you know? Invest in asking these people what they need, you know? So stuff like that. I would also say that like, at the end of the day, we get one minute with you. When people walk into my place, we get one minute, maybe 10 minutes. Uh, I get that much time to pour as much love onto that person and uh, to make sure that I give them anything they need and treat them as well as I can. If I don't see them again, they might die. If they don't come back, maybe they went and got into rehab. I don't know that, though. I just know for that one little echo, brief period of time, I can give them what they never get elsewhere, and I can treat them with respect, dignity, and love. You know, and if we expand that little second out, and we start showing multitudes of people these things that are marginalized, we see it every day. They come back and they come back and they come back and they want to do better and they want to do right. And they want absolutely one of those paramount things I could think of for me in this work is there is no way not not to feel that way. You know, compassion takes you over, you know, Anyways, that's all I had.
1: We will continue to look into how Bloomington and Monroe County are planning on distributing the funds and compare how other local governments are managing to settle fund distributions next week on Deep Dive. Stay tuned.